Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food and Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, and my guest today is the lovely, lovely Anthony Porosky, who you know from Queer Eye. You are about to know for this gorgeous cookbook that he has written. Uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, rather than seeing Anthony in the kitchen, mm-hmm. it is a stunning Thank you. That means so much coming from you. Did you know, well, you did know this because you were there, (laughs) my very first sort of like video content food thing was with you. That was the first one? Way back when. Oh my God. I assumed that you had done that. No, that was my my first and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And you were like the perfect... You came up and you were like my maternal figure there and you took care of me and you told me to calm down <laughs> and you breathed. saw that I was anxious. Can we, and I can think, we like lock pinkies over yes. anxiety? Yes. Oh man. You breathed through it and you got through it like a champ. I, I'm doing my best. Yeah. But I mean, on that day, I remember like, I, I just remember I, I looked at you and I I know, I recognize the look on your face because I know <laughs> that it's been one that has been on mine before where you're just trying to muscle through, but the eyes... You just want to be perfect. God, yeah. And it's so scary, this expectation of perfection. Terrifying. Self-imposed, might I add. Oh, dear God, yes. Yeah. So it's been, and that, was that 2014, maybe? It was. Or 20, Wow, that long ago? No, it might have been 2015, something like that. So just to backtrack a little bit on this. So my boss at the time said, oh, I met this, this, this man in there, this boy, this lovely fellow or whatever. Man child, as I like to refer to myself. Who, uh, you know, maybe we could do some food videos with him. I was impressed by, I think you would cook something at a dinner party. Yes. Yes. And you came in and I thought like, oh. It's just going to be somebody pretty. It's just going to be whatever. And I actually remember you walked in. I thought, like, he's disturbingly pretty. I wonder if he has anything to say. And I prejudged you. And I feel really bad about that. But we started to talk. And the passion with which you spoke about food. And you kept using the word proper. And I loved that. And I realized, like, oh, my God, you really had this tremendous point of view. And you cared so deeply about this. And I was just like, on board. We're you mentioned this. that too. You were like, I don't know where your life is headed or what, mm-hmm. where your interests lie, but you need to remember, like focus on that word proper mm-hmm. and how much meaning it has to you. And I've heard you deploy that. <laughs> I have. Sometimes organically, sometimes yeah. it's a little forced and it sort of serves as a reminder about yeah. what my sort of, you know, food mantra is and... Yeah. Yeah. And some things have happened in your life. Just a few. <laughs> Since then. A so, sprinkling, if you will. So we did a, a couple of videos um, that day. And I remember, like, I, I think we did two different sessions maybe during mm-hmm. that. And then I think I sent you, a, a, like, a part of my book saying, like, okay, if you were worried at all about anxiety or whatever, here's where I am on on this. And mm-hmm. I, the, my, my book wasn't even out yet. And I think I sent you the, the right. thing of that. And then... You know, fast forward a couple of years ago, there's all of a sudden you see a press release with your name in it uh-huh. that you're on Queer Eye. <laughs> yeah. So what happened in between? Uh, um, so at the time when when uh, when I met you, I was working for Ted Allen. Yes. So the OG he's, food and wine he's expert. He's coming on soon. Really? Yes, he's coming on the podcast. Aww. I'm so sorry. I'm going to come sit here and like creep on the sides and just. <laughs> you are welcome to creep any damn time you want. He's just one of the most intelligent, curious people I know who just has an incredible passion for food. And, and he's a I, journalist. which He's I a journalist. Like. I love a journalist. Yeah. He, I, 
I've always appreciated mm-hmm. that about him because I had watched, you know, Queer Eye first version of that. As did I with my sisters, usually like hiding because I didn't want to like admit <laughs> that I was watching it. And I right. like wasn't, it was bringing up some feelings that I wasn't ready to address yet. Right. Um, so I would, I would watch it. But yeah, since, since then, yeah, a lot has changed. <laughs> I uh, was working for Ted at the time and then also working for his husband, who has mm. um, a wonderful furniture gallery in, uh, in Brooklyn called F- Full Circle Modern. And they do oh. like 50s, 60s, 70s, right. 80s, um, mostly American, but a lot of Italian uh, furniture designers as well. And so as I was working with Ted, sort of like planning his schedule, mm-hmm. helping with all like the assistant things and um, a little bit of food in the kitchen and like helping with like dinner parties. And he would host like annual chopped barbecues for like production and all the chefs on that show. Oh, so I, I would that. cook alongside them, which was like terrifying and super intimidating. But I learned so much. What a great crash course in seeing how to do that, how to talk while making. And totally. And at the same time, I remember you had to go out of the country to film for a while. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you yes. were and you were filming something in Polish, I believe. In Polish <laughs> and in Russian. Oh my god. Yeah, it was uh it was it was a, a short docudrama called Oitsu, which actually was we received some kind of an acknowledgement at Cannes uh, the the following year, oh, wow. and it was basically about cutting, about uh, basically before World War II, mm-hmm. when all of um, uh, Catholic uh, poles were basically like lined up, and it was basically like a genocide that no one oh, really geez. talks about as much. And I went and I played this guy who actually lived and was taken away from his family in the middle of the night. And, um, yeah, it was, wow, that's crazy. I, I, I can't believe. Because we were trying to schedule these videos. Yes. And, uh, and I remember you saying, well, I'm going to be gone during this month or something. And I was right. thinking, like, oh, my God, because, you know, you're a working actor. Yeah, sometimes I was and other times I wasn't. Um, uh, such as being a working actor. But exactly. But I always had, like, all these different things going on. I was also, at the time, I was a waiter at Bond Street at a sushi oh, restaurant. Were? Oh, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Right. And, I knew um, you had worked in restaurants, but I didn't know it was that one. And then I knew that I kind of, I wanted to have a bit more of a, a, a fixed schedule that wasn't mm-hmm. all over the place. Yet whenever I had that fixed schedule, I wanted to be all over the place. It yeah. was always a sort of like never happy with where I was. You're an artist. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and so I started working a little more for uh, for Barry, Ted's husband on the furniture mm-hmm. side, and then a gallery owner in the city. Um, basically found me and offered me an incredible job where I wouldn't have to do anything else. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was trying to like fight against like, okay, maybe I'm not an artist and I can like work in a gallery yeah. and this is going to be easier and I'm going to have a 10 to 6 job and this is I how I'm going to be happy. Thing. <laughs> and I tried. Yep. It was a valiant effort, <laughs> unsuccessful, but valiant. And, um, and so I worked for him at a place called High Style Deco for about a year and a half and then the audition process started for Queer Eye. So how did you know? Did Ted say like, hey, I really think you should do this? Or did I, you start it separate from he, him? It was. It started separate from him. I, um, uh, A friend of mine, a uh, manager, Jason, uh, uh, sorry, Jameson, uh, who works for Jason Weinberg, uh, contacted me and basically told me, um, he was like, so Queer Eye is being rebooted for Netflix. They want a diverse cast. Mm-hmm. The concept, the tagline that they had was turning the red states pink. Um, which I loved and I was like, <laughs> I'm okay, I'm intrigued, but also like the two, it was like immediate fear because it was two things, which, you know, I mentioned yeah. briefly in the introduction, but the two things that were the most intimate and sacred to me. And that was, mm-hmm. um, my, basically like my 
sexual orientation mm-hmm. and food, even though I did those videos with you, like it wasn't something that I, I did it because I felt like I needed to, but mm-hmm. I was kind of too afraid and it was food was something that was intimate. And so was my sexuality. And yeah. this was a show that showcased both of those things with a massive spotlight. It's like literally the focus of the show. And I mean, the thing with, with you and food, that conversation that we had in, in this room where I was sort of, you know, interviewing you about you know, doing these videos mm-hmm. It, it just lit you up with you talking about food and cooking and entertaining mm-hmm. in a very particular way. It was it was this thing that was just it just it was this particular like streak of magnet that was running through you. And like the second those words got uh, were said, like you just grabbed that because it seemed like that was your comfort place and you wouldn't be able to hide that. I know. I've and I've always been like that. I was like that since I was a little kid. It's. Mm-hmm. With the life that I have now, I, I get to see, like, my family members even less than I did yeah. before. And so when I do, everything always ties in around it, – it always starts with, like, wow, your life is so crazy. And my mm. answer is usually, like, yeah, how random and weird that I ended up on a show like this. And, like, my cousin Maya, who uh, – we grew up, like, five houses away from each other. And I was telling her, like, yeah, how random that I got Queer Eye. And she's like, no, it makes perfect sense. Like, you were seven and we would be on the bus and you'd be sitting there with your lunchbox, like, bragging about, like, the this, like – beautiful food that your mother made or like leftovers from the night before and you would talk about how she prepared like the string beans but you were saying that she shouldn't have boiled them that she should have roasted them instead and I had these like weird strange like very specific opinions I don't even know like where they were coming from like I always loved talking about food I could be eating a meal and talking about the next one yeah I mean it's so this intro to your book is I it's so beautiful because you talk about something very upfront that I think about a lot and feel a lot, which is imposter syndrome. Mm. And you uh, talked in there about not being gay enough or the right kind of gay and not being the right kind of food person. Mm -hmm. So you're walking into a situation of this. You're maybe into the structure of it if you're doing auditions or you're doing whatever. (laughs) Talk to me about your emotional state when you walk in the room. Oh, gosh. Um... Yeah, I remember landing in L.A. It was my first time there. Mm -hmm. And we basically get into a room. There's always debate among my castmates. Our first theory was that there were 500 of us. And then when we started (laughs) speaking to some of the execs, they were like, no, there were like 50 or 60 of you. And we had this meet and greet the night before, which was like a cocktail party where we all got to know each other and Mm -hmm. there were no cameras. And we were all sort of like asked to socialize and get to know each other. Mm -hmm. And we had little numbers with our category, so people knew oh who was in which category. So go out there and take out the other food exactly. people. Exactly. <laughs> did you recognize other food people? Uh, I did not. A lot of them were West Coast based, but mm-hmm. they were there were a few from all over, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and some were private caterers, mm-hmm. uh, private chefs. There were some like full on, you know, chef de cuisine types from like mm-hmm. restaurants. And so it was very, it was an eclectic mix. Mm-hmm. And I know that the food category and I believe the culture category had the most. Okay. So there were a lot of us. I was like, great, no pressure. <laughs> um, and what I told myself was going in there, I actually had, um, I had a long walk. Uh, one of my closest friends, Klaus, who's also um, a mentor of mine, he was telling me before I went in for the audition process, he was like, you have one goal during this whole thing. And he's like, you have to stay cool. Because I would talk to him about auditions all the time and how yeah. I would go in and try to be someone. And it was basically always like, I need you to want me. He was like, that's the opposite of what you should be doing. The only thing that you can do is go in and 100% be yourself. Because whether you get mm-hmm. it or not has nothing to do with you. 
the only thing that you can control is sort of like your state of being and your state of mind. And because it's an unscripted slash reality show, mm -hmm. you have to present yourself as you like authentically are, which yeah. is kind of what we encourage our heroes to do on the show as well. Right. He's like, if you let your nerves get the best of you, you're going to make people in the room uncomfortable. And that's not what they want to see. They want to see somebody who's comfortable with themselves. And I am none of that in most of the time so still trying to figure it out oh you and me both so i knew that i had to kind of like yeah. be relaxed and so i treated everything as sort of like a fun game mm -hmm. and so i went in i socialized and i have i can be like at the center of the room and be like a total alpha extrovert but if you get me the next day i will be a complete introvert and i want to hide in the corner by like the cheese and charcuterie board and just be like totally shaky and overly caffeinated and not being able to interact with a single person. The ambiverts. I am an ambivert. Totally. So I charge my battery talking to other people mm -hmm. and enthusiasm and all that kind of stuff. And then I crash really hard and need to be at home alone or just with my husband or my dogs or something right. like that and not talk to anyone Yeah. and just kind of go and hide. But it takes that to be able to like fully do the and thing. And I can't decide which Antony is going to like which one I'm going to be when I wake up in the morning. Yeah. And I just have to sort of like deal with it as it comes. Mm -hmm. I was in a social mood. So that was nice. I okay. got to know a bunch of people, took as many names Can down as I could. Can you flip the switch at will? I can't. I just happened to be in like my okay. <laughs> extroverted mood. So that, right. that worked well for me. And then so we had our first day. Um, we, they, we had these, like this fishbowl situation. And because of my name, I was actually the first one to oh, go. God, no pressure. And so at each table, there were four stations and there was an executive from Netflix, from ITV, who's producing it and from Scout. They're like the OG show creators. Mm -hmm. Um, David Collins, Michael Williams, Rob Eric, and Joel Chiodi. And so they would, you literally just pick out a question out of a, a literal fishbowl and then just answer it and just kind of like ramble on. Do you remember any of your questions? I don't. Um, <laughs> is, it, is this whole thing just like wiped from your memory? I think one of them was about Mafungo because they were like, what's oh. a recent trip that you took? And I talked about going to Puerto Rico with Klaus actually, who has um, a farm in El Yunque in the rainforest or used to before. Um, before the hurricane and I talked about how when I tried Mofongo for the first time it wasn't good and I was disappointed and I knew that it could be better and then I went and I tried it again and I realized that you can't just have unripe plantains that they have to be sweet as well because then it's just too dry and when it gets really crispy and you get that nice tomato sauce with mm. like big shrimp it's just delicious I'm gonna have Mofongo tonight I love Mofongo there's a place right down the street oh, for me that has it <laughs> it's so good and that tomato sauce too anyway um, so I just started rambling about food and and I noticed that they sort of like the heads cocked a little and I got a lot more attention when I talked about that. See, So I was like, oh, light. like what you were touching mm -hmm. on. And it was like, OK, that's my thing. I need to um, not to manipulate the situation, but like I'm here for food and I have to show mm -hmm. what my passion is. And it's sort of like know what your strengths are. Mm -hmm. And although I feel like I'm pretty knowledgeable about food, I've always been very curious about it. I've been watching Julia Child and Jacques Pepin since yeah. I was a child, along with Care Bears on Saturday morning cartoons <laughs> like they went hand in hand. Um, and I've read a lot about, um, I've read a lot of cookbooks and a lot of like food writers and I've always loved it, but I'm not like a classically trained mm -hmm. chef. I didn't go to culinary school. Yeah. And so that was something that kind of followed me. And I was even talking to Ted Allen about it before. And I was like, well, I'm not Ted, like I'm not a chef. I know how to cook. I'm comfortable mm -hmm. in a kitchen. But his point was basically, he was like, you're not a chef and you shouldn't want to be one. While like, he's like, just see it this way. Like chefs are, they work back of the house. They often are, are like they're they're sort of and this is a generalization, but like they also often have their strong opinions. They're not people who are like used to teaching others. They have mm -hmm. like their way of doing it. 
just see yourself as sort of like somewhere in between where you're passionate about the food and you've worked front of house as a waiter mm -hmm. for over 10 years and just see yourself as kind of like a messenger of that information and just like let your passion like drive it and just talk about food. Anyone just needs to hear you talk about food and they'll know that you're not an idiot. Well, and also if you're dealing with your, your heroes, they're coming in there, they, they have to be so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine how, what it takes to get up there and say like, hey, fix my life in this particular right. way. To five complete strangers. Yeah, that's so much. And so I, you know, I, I, I know that in that first season, people were saying about like simple recipes. I'm like, mm -hmm. what do you think they need to be learning right, right now? They're trying to revamp their entire lives. You don't want to teach them how to necessarily like, make a whole like, I'm trying to think like, you know, a van or something right. like that. But it has if to be something, never, if they right. poured cereal. They have to be able to replicate it. And my point is like in a week and in a two minute scene, literally, mm -hmm. you're not going to, I want, I want the seed to be planted. Mm -hmm. Like that's what's important. And what I noticed really early on I feel like we're going on so many tangents. I don't even That's know if I'm right. answering your questions, no, but you know, here there. we are. This is, this is what this is. Um, <laughs> I realize that there are two types of people on Queer Eye. There are people who used to be passionate about food, mm -hmm. and then something happened and they stopped, like Neil Reddy in season one. Oh, yeah. Um, the, I think Saving Sasquatch was the name of the episode. Mm -hmm. And he had all these like relics of like kitchen appliances, and I he used that, to cook yeah. so much, and he stopped. And he was dealing with a lot of his own I mean, issues and depression, depression, which he talks about openly. And Good God. Yeah, depression can just completely take the the passion that you have absolutely. and just squash it. And it doesn't matter how strong it is. Mm -hmm. It can totally squash it. Yeah. And then you had other people um, like, uh, like Corey, the cop, who thought he was vegan, but he was eating protein bars with whey protein, which oh, wow. is like cow. Yeah. And so I had to have a little sit down with him and be like, so you're not fully vegan. <laughs> Sorry to give you an identity. Sorry. Crisis. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then with him, he wasn't, he was very intimidated and mm -hmm. scared by his kitchen, but also a religious man mm -hmm. for whom Sunday dinners with his family are like integral to that mm -hmm. culture. Massive cross in his, in his dining room, but he was eating in his basement and his wife and his daughters were eating upstairs. Right. Yeah. So he didn't care about cooking per se. But with him, it was more the reason. Like, look, you want to connect with your wife and your daughters? Prepare a meal for them. Mm -hmm. And that's what got his butt in the kitchen and got him excited to actually make something. Yeah. So it's two schools of thought. For one person, it's like you need a reason for it. And with other people, like it's already there. I'm almost even more interested. I've sort of changed my tune. And it's the people who supposedly, I use this in quotes, don't give a shit about cooking. Because then you realize that it's like if you give them a reason for it, mm -hmm. if you have somebody that you want to say I love you to or I'm sorry or just like be of service to, whether it's your community or significant other like you can you can spark that in literally anyone i mean we all eat we all have to mm -hmm. eat and i as i've realized as a food journalist you can connect with anybody about food they like you said they might not think that they care they might just think of food as maintenance but they have some primal memory talk Somebody to them about me. their grandma for a second yeah whether that's a good thing or a bad thing whether it's a good <laughs> thing or a bad thing but like there's always that version even if yeah. it was a really bad pumpkin oh, yeah. pie like it doesn't matter like we all have went, that memory oh god yeah immediately i went to my grandmother trying to serve me a spaghetti sauce that had mold on top of it. <laughs> Stop. Oh, it was, yeah. Was the sauce out of a jar? Probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but even with that, the sauce being out of a jar, like it con connected to an emotional place because my grandfather was, you know, first generation American. He didn't want to smell Italian because he was so bullied by that mm. that he never learned how to cook the things. So my mother didn't learn how to cook the things. So they always just had jarred sauce in the house. Oh, God. Yeah, so we all have those, those things. Yeah. So... I'm just thinking, like, you're so empathetic with the people on the show and stuff. At the same time, seeing, 
I've had friends who, like, when I've met them, have been well-known, famous, all this kind of stuff. I don't know if I'd seen anybody who I'd sort of known a little bit before become very famous. And I want to talk about taking care of yourself during that transition and how you okay. do that. And does food play a role in that? Absolutely. Um, I, I remember I as soon as the press release came out, I sent you a note. And I was like, oh, my God. And... Mm-hmm. Make sure you take care of yourself yeah, in that the midst was, of all of this. That was the first thing that you said. It was congratulations followed by that. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, I mean, nobody can really prepare you for it. Yeah. I don't think that there are any guidebooks on how to navigate these. They still feel like new waters. Yeah. Even though it's been like, what, two years it's about? Two, yeah. Um, it's an ongoing thing. I think touching on my relationship with food, mm-hmm. it's... It's, it's like, it's, it's happy and it's sad. It's like, if I look at my life before when I was working in the gallery, um, the relationship I was in at the time with Joey, Mm -hmm. the tradition was I came home, I would go to the grocery store, get food for the day and I would have a meal ready for him when he came home. And like, that was every night of the week. Yeah. And then on weekends we would go out maybe like one night, but I always cooked at home. I loved going to restaurants Mm -hmm. to sort of research, but cooking at home was like our favorite thing. Mm -hmm. And my life now, two years into this single, an apartment that I've had for about eight months that I've probably spent almost two months in because I'm traveling all the time. Don't feel sorry for me. Life is really great. Yep, but, but it's still it's like hard. I don't, it's hard I don't have as many opportunities to cook for myself mm-hmm. or someone to cook for. And it's the irony is like I'm, I'm this food guy now, mm-hmm. but I'm not cooking for myself as much mm-hmm. as I used to. And I imagine also it's hard to go to restaurants. It's hard and awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, unpack lo- <laughs> that for me, please. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard when I have days when I'm experiencing a particular level of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, when I'm experiencing a lot of anxiety, that's when I seem to get noticed the most, as mm-hmm. the universe would have it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I have a system um, that I develop. Like I, I don't sit on the banquette anymore. I mm-hmm. sit on the chair facing the wall mm-hmm. and I love looking at people. I love watching yeah. the way a restaurant is run. Like, Oh, there's the bread station, the espresso bars here. That's interesting. Usually mm-hmm. like when I was a busboy, they had both of those together and the mm-hmm. same person who did the bread did the espresso. And I used to like observe all these things and I love people watching. I can't really do that anymore yeah. because as soon as you like, you lock eyes with someone, <laughs> they see you, the phone's out and they're walking towards you with a smile. And it's like, so it's it's hard to sort of and also I'm uh, like I'm very ADHD. I just um, got diagnosed in August. Oh, congrats! Yeah, it I mean actually, I don't know if congratulations, no, it's great. but it's, it, it is what it is, no, right? But, it, un- it it actually made so much sense to me, and it meant I could finally get medication and treatment for it. Oh. but I'd been feeling so bad about myself for such a long time, thinking like, oh, you scatterbrain, you whatever, and realizing like, oh no, no, no there's I'm, a name for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of nice, isn't it? It's it's really good to have that name. It makes some some things difficult. I we went to a, a Russian restaurant in Brighton Beach the mm-hmm. other night, and there was so much happening in a show going on, and my ADHD was on full flower. Oh, see, sometimes that's perfect for me <laughs> because I get easily distracted, and it just kind of like lets me just do my own yeah. thing. But what's nice about it is that now I've had to. I do get distracted very easily. Mm-hmm. But now when I'm at restaurants, since I can yeah. no longer sort of like look around everywhere and have yeah. like a buzzing eye, it 
it forces me to sort of hyper focus on the person I'm with and just to give them my full attention, yeah. which is really nice because I've always like small talk for me at a cocktail party is the worst. It, like I cannot talk mm-hmm. about the weather mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm much more into like intimate dinner parties where I get to have like a meaningful conversation mm-hmm. and I leave thinking something or like thinking about yeah. the person. And I feel like I've either made a new friendship or like reinforced one or just hung out with like old friends that I haven't seen in a while. Um, so that part is sort of like, it comes with its pros and its cons, but um, I, I, I eat a lot more at restaurants now because I get a lot more dishes than I used to. Oh um, yeah. I mean that navigating cause they'll, they'll send things out and. Oh, and I also like feel yeah. bad cause I feel like I have to eat everything cause I hate being wasteful. I, 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 know, I get it bagged at the end. No, that's yeah. the thing. Like, no, that's what I started yeah, doing. Yeah. And yeah. then give it to a homeless person. Yes. I mean, yeah. some stuff I'll take home and I'll, you know, eat it the next time. Someone in Philly away. got a beautiful Branzino two nights ago oh. with, um, with, with braised fennel and these like like a beautiful whole head of like charred romaine. Oh yeah, I really hope they enjoyed it. And yes, and so the thing is like I, I realized what I learned. I would sort of asked a couple like homeless activists and stuff. They said put it like sort of on the top edge of, of the trash can if nobody's mm. right there. Oh, I always so find it's a like person. unsullied. Right. Yeah, it's just you know sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. It's the first time I hear a reference of unsullied not pertaining to Game of Thrones. So I really oh, appreciate that. I have never seen Game yeah. of Thrones. <laughs> I know. Really? I, know. I just got into it. But anyway, that's for another. <laughs> that's for another. Another sesh. Um, but yeah, it's 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 one of those things where I've realized just for a matter of survival, mm-hmm. you can't eat all of the no. things because it will uh, it will break you, body, mind, spirit, and, and totally. it's done out of love. Mm-hmm. Like you feed people because you you love them and you care about them, yeah. and because you know words don't always come easily for things. It's easier to be like, hey, I made this this mm-hmm. thing for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, yeah, so that part is is a little tricky. But then even with, like, eating in general, yeah. my relationship with food has definitely um, – we've had our, our – I was going to say conversations, but basically monologues or <laughs> conversations with myself where now I'm on TV. Mm-hmm. I get my photograph taken a lot. Mm-hmm. You see yourself sometimes when it's like, oh, they put too much makeup. They put too little makeup. Suddenly I'm looking at, like – oh, there's like an extra chin that's in this angle. So I have to like, mm-hmm. there's so much more self-awareness that comes from it. And part of that is like I had vanity. My There has been a spotlight on my vanity. Mm-hmm. And so I made a decision about a year ago. I am like a dairy freak. I love dairy, even mm-hmm. though I've been lactose intolerant my whole <laughs> life, just still fighting <laughs> so you, it. You just got the lactate on just, you. Yeah, not even. I, I feel like I got it out of my system. And this okay. isn't advice for people because I don't feel like this is the right approach to take. But I was severely lactose intolerant as a kid and I just kept on eating cheese and I feel like I fought my way through it. <laughs> I'm proud of you. And maybe it's just me. And I don't think other people should do that, but it worked for me. Um, and um, and I decided to, I, I started doing um, like intermittent fasting and mm-hmm. working out more. And I've always been a very active person Mm -hmm. if I don't work out I don't sleep well and it just it allows me to show up in a better like if I show up first thing in the morning it's like my cup of coffee it's just a necessity for me to keep going um but I like cut out dairy out of my diet and I was like I'm only gonna have dairy on weekends and I'm not gonna Mm -hmm. like say no to butter or be like super vigilant about it Mm -hmm. but just have a conscious effort of not having a vat of mac and cheese on a Tuesday for (laughs) lunch or a cacio pepe on a Wednesday that sounds really good though right now it does I love a vat of mac and cheese (laughs) page x and Anthony in the kitchen Two types of mac and cheese. <laughs> that being, um, I actually just wrote on a trend sheet today that I think that a bounty of mac and cheese in, in 2020, just all different varieties, are uh, going to be its... I love mac and cheese. It's a fantastic thing. And it's something where I have I, I have all these dietary restrictions and stuff, so I can't really mm. do it. So I'll like a tiny little bite. Wet or baked? Um, Baked. and Well, actually both. But with the baked with the crunchiness on top... 
God. What's better than that? There's really very little. I am feeling oh. like I love it more than some family members, yeah. probably. Um, but <laughs> but if you're so you're not necessarily getting to cook for yourself as as much. So when you're traveling, um, they they I know you go to different cities, mm-hmm. and then are you in a fixed place where you have a kitchen where you can tend to your needs? Yes. Okay. That is that's that a something that's super important. I um, it's important for me just to have a sense of home, like. One of my castmates, um, so Tan, um, who's a fashion expert on the show, when he when he goes to a new city, he's always like he never he's a minimalist. He doesn't bring too many things because mm-hmm. he wants to be reminded of where his home is, and that's in Salt mm-hmm. Lake City with his husband. Yeah, I am not that person. I'm a maximalist. I'm a little bit more of a, like I'm a maximalist, <laughs> and also um, a, a little more nomadic in that sense, where it's like home is wherever I am. Mm-hmm. So at first, I tried to the first season, I tried to like fill it up with as many things as possible, and I just filled it up with a shit ton of trees. I went to IKEA with like two SUVs and we filled it up with trees and I filled it with a shocking amount. So it was like a greenhouse in there. And I had, um, I had Transformers, G.I. Joe and Star Wars figurines. Cause I was like, I wanted to just be a kid again and I wanted yeah. it to be a fun place. So I just had toys everywhere. That's lovely. Kind of lovely to me and maybe creepy to some, um, <laughs> but that was like, that's what I, how I wanted to make my home. And then I needed to make sure that I had like, I have to have my pots and my pans and my mm-hmm. things just to, Atlanta was different because we worked so hard and we were there a lot more often. We weren't flying in and out as much mm-hmm. and the hours were a lot longer. It wasn't a well-oiled machine yet. It was very much the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. Kansas City was different. The apartments got a little bigger. That loft was beautiful. A little nicer. The With loft the dog. was <laughs> Yes. A little brewly. Um, but our apartment there, mine there had to be fitted with all of the kitchen things that I had here in New York because mm. I decided that it was a great idea to decide to write a cookbook in the middle of two seasons. Okay, Because right. I'm that guy. Writing books is such an act of masochism. Mm-hmm. It's, a, and especially, I have not yet written a cookbook, uh, and, and it would never be my cookbook. I would always just do it with somebody, but it mm. is a brutal thing to do. I, I think everybody thinks, oh, I should write a cookbook. Um, let's dissuade people from that. Uh, and it was, and I was thinking like, okay, maybe we'll do like 50 recipes. Mm. And then my brilliant editor, um, Rux Martin. Rux um, Martin is, is like the patron saint. I call her so the many. Grace Coddington of the culinary I world. I saw that in your intro. That's so Oh, right. It is on. in the intro. Yeah. She, I'm very proud of that for one. For people who don't know who Rox Martin is, she has edited so many of the greats. And like she's responsible for so many staple cookbooks that are mm-hmm. out there on, on people's shelves that they cook from every day. And they have no idea. And she's brilliant. I know yeah. she's an editor. So this is redundant. But she's brilliant at editing. Mm-hmm. It's like remove, take away, more. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need this. Keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it know that this isn't like, this isn't a book just for your friends, but like we want people across the country to be able to cook from this. And I had so much help along the way, like Mindy Fox, uh, my co-author on the book, who is an angel. She was on the East Coast while I was in Kansas City, Missouri. And I would basically show up at home at the end of like a 10, 12 hour day of filming. And I befriended, she was our caterer on uh, seasons three and four, Beth Barden, awesome boss restaurateur of a great brunch spot called Succotash. Um, she would be waiting at my home. She would cook two to three recipes. Then Mm. I would cook two to three recipes. So I would try six dishes like every single night and we'd be eating until one or two in the morning. And then Mindy would be retesting or trying her own set of like recipes on the East coast. And then we would have phone time to sort of discuss like introductions, um, to every single dish. And it was like, I had so many women around me, which is the best because I love working with women and it's always like, it's, it's it's so collaborative. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, it's always made me more comfortable. It is on Queer Eye for the most part, we have like a very um, uh, female, strong female based um, production uh, team and crew, especially with our executives. And I really wanted it to be the same thing with the cookbook as well. So talk to me about finding your voice in food, mm. because I'm thinking when I met you, I knew that you had some strong opinions about particular ingredients and the freshness and the properness of it. Right. How did you find the food story that you wanted to tell in this book? I, at first, I mean, we had so many ideas. Um, at first I was thinking, cause I've had a, a really troubled relationship with Polish food growing up. It was something that I loved yeah. as a child. I moved to West Virginia and suddenly it wasn't cool to have an immigrant name or bring cabbage rolls for lunch mm -hmm. so i was the kind kid of with the smelly lunch i was the kid with the smelly farty cabbage lunch that was mm -hmm. i um and uh and so i kind of like stepped away from it for a while and then in more recent years i started cooking polish dishes again and sort of like putting my tweaks on them and instead of putting beer in a hunter stew i put a bottle of red wine and treated it like a bourguignon instead and learning how to like render fat on kielbasa so that it's really nice and crispy and you don't have those chunks of like that unpleasant fat mm -hmm. um and so that was like one thing i was like okay no let's do like a polish book and then um another idea was like no well like what's queer eye about it's about teaching people essentials and like giving them little nuggets mm -hmm. so then there was that part and it's like should it be like a very back to basics sort of like what ina garden does so beautifully mm -hmm. and just teaching people like what the essentials are or the other side was i was raised in montreal extremely multicultural and diverse we had in our elementary school we had this uh, tradition once a year maybe twice it was called the buffet des nations the buffet of the nations and you would bring food from your parents um country of origin and you would share it with everybody in the lunchroom it's lovely and it was such an incredible it, like that that experience really shaped me because i would have like my friend andrew shahidi whose mother was portuguese um his father is iranian and he was like a first generation immigrant raised in Canada. And so like they would bring their food and my mom would bring, um, uh, they were nareshniki. So they're like these crepes, but instead of just like with regular button mushrooms, she would put like porcini and morels mm -hmm. and do like a nice little cream sauce. And so that was something like, I wanted it to be diverse as well. And so then I had a chat with Rux and she was like, we want a hundred recipes. And I was like, that is double what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and she was like, treat this as an autobiography. Look mm -hmm. back at your life and just write down all the freaking recipes, all the dishes that you've ever had. Just start there. And I wrote it out and there were like well over 120 or 130. And I realized like, oh, this actually isn't hard because I've never written a single recipe down. Yeah, I've never measured a single thing in my life except for baking. Like everything is always like an Antony handful, which is like a normal person's two hands cupped <laughs> together because I have massive hands. Um, and then I realized that it was like, oh, I'm gonna treat this as an autobiography. So there's food of my Polish heritage, um, dishes that I prepared when I was studying at the neighborhood playhouse in New York and I was living off of like $50 a week and overdrafting my account and calling mm -hmm. my dad and asking him to put money into my TD account. Um, dishes that I prepared during my uh, wonderful relationship with with Joey over seven years where I cooked for his family every Sunday, which was oh. like such an important thing that I was lacking, just that semblance of like that unconditional love and family because my family lives all over the place. Um and so it was like a mix of all these different things. And also some recipes that didn't make it into Queer Eye that I was really upset about because <laughs> editing, I understand it's not a cooking show, but I wanted to include those in there as well. Well, yeah, because do you feel like you had to prove anything to anybody because editing did not? I want to lie and say no, but yes. Because, you know, I watched that first the first season and I saw people saying like, the can he cook debate? And the thing is, I knew you could. Mm -hmm. And it, it was almost painful to have that because, uh, you know, because I, I knew that that you could and I knew that probably hurt 
It did hurt. I had um, there was uh, there was a moment. There was a certain publication that I have long admired and read since I was pretty young. Mm-hmm. And they put out a piece right when the show came out, and Ted Allen actually texted me the article. I was having sushi with my friend. The writer is a very good friend of mine. So <laughs> and I of, texted her a lot of things. So, so the first <laughs> article that came out from said publication yeah. put a spotlight on me and made me out to be like the breakout star of the mm-hmm. show. And it was basically like a beautiful piece that just like stroked my ego, <laughs> made me feel like king shit. I felt like a million bucks. Mm-hmm. And then I think a week or two later, the same publication, yeah. an opinion piece by this writer mm-hmm. came and just like brought me down completely. Mm-hmm. And it was such an important lesson because, yes, of course, I was hurt by it mm-hmm. because I take a lot of care into what it is that I do. And I also have a need for everyone to love me. Mm-hmm. At that time, I didn't understand how it's like if I, I can charm anybody. That was like my M.O., mm-hmm. And when you're a public figure, that's actually impossible. Not that yes. it, you should strive to make that possible if you're a public, a private citizen, but it's like actually not possible to make everyone happy. And so that was like the ultimate for me. And I was like, well, if I'm going to read all of like the the positive, like uh, jerking me off pieces, I need to read the pieces and accept the ones that aren't doing that and right. that have strong opinions about certain things. How do um, you compartmentalize that? Um, well, so I stopped reading everything <laughs> <laughs> Okay. and now life is big enough where I have a publicist who sends me like a doc of things when they're really important and they want me to right. read it so that I'm aware mm-hmm. I do, but I think it's, it's very careful restraint. It's like the day that I decided to get off of, uh, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was sort of like, oh, how am I going to deal with not doing this? But there was a certain freedom in not engaging in that all the time. Like I know public people who have Google notifications for their name whenever something comes out. I could not live that way. I, it would drive me completely insane. If you get me on a sensitive day and something somebody writes something shitty about me, mm-hmm. I will be destroyed. And I've gotten a lot better at it. Um, and, you know, pieces come out all the time and it's like we're doing all these different things and people have their opinions and I'm much less affected by it than I was. But at the time, like, it really hurt. The only thing that – the thing that hurt the most – um, is when my personality gets attacked because that's something that's really me. I mean, it's such a strange thing that I always wonder about. Um, you're an idea to a lot of people rather than mm-hmm. a person. Right, you're a concept. Yes, mm-hmm. and they can uh, they can project anything they want. They can decide. Oh, he, you know, I saw, I walked past him on the street, and he looked kind of funny at me. He must be a dick or mm-hmm. something. Not that I've seen anybody write that, but but you ha- you become something that is an avatar of yourself out into the world. How do you reconcile having to have that person out in the world and still keep something for yourself? See, okay, that is. Such a good question Um, because I experienced that on the show as well. Mm -hmm. I think when the first season came out, I was arguably the most guarded where I didn't Mm -hmm. share a lot about myself. Some of my other castmates are very comfortable sharing about their personal stories and their journeys and the things that they've gone through in life. And with me, I sort of like I give like a tiny little crumb Mm -hmm. and I just kind of keep it really vague in general. And I let people kind of like do with that whatever they will. But as the show sort of like evolved, we had an episode, even in the fourth episode of the first season with AJ, who was coming out to oh, his yeah. uh, stepmom. That was, oh, um, God, I cried so. Who was, uh, me too. Um, and we're sitting there in this changing room, and I didn't think that this was going to be a, a thing where I was going to talk about what it was like to be fluid. But he started sharing about his experience. And then I was like, if I'm going to sit here 
with a perfect stranger and ask him intimate details about mm-hmm. his life. Like, how can I not do the same for me? Like you have to, it's a two way, it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be that person who's just drilling in and asking questions and trying to get like great content to make an awesome show. Yes, You have to share your personal story as well, or at least I felt that way. Um, so I've started doing that more. And as the season sort of like progressed, there are little tidbits that sort of offer insight into a very complicated relationship that I have with my biological mother. Um, in an episode of season three, I very uh, lightly touched on addiction and the fact that I have an intimate understanding of what that is. It's, I always think like, when I don't want to share about something, I always think like, but if I do, then somebody's going to be able to relate And the way that I think about my problems these days are I take into account that there are people there who need to feel like they're not the only ones going through something. Mm -hmm. And that's what I feel our responsibility is on the show. Because I remember so many times in my life when I thought that I was terminally unique, that I was alone with my anxiety until you sent me your book. Um, I was the only person who understood what it was like to feel lonely and understand the struggles of like addiction and dependency um, and codependence and relationships for that matter. But the more that you communicate and share with other people, the more you realize you're not alone. So mm-hmm. I kind of see it as my job and there's this bigger picture where I am meant to share these things. But at the same time, once you share it, it's out there. Oh, And I, then there's less of it that's for you. So it's a real catch 22. It really, I remember when I started writing about mental illness, when I worked at CNN and it was the scariest thing. I still refer to it as like a coming out as mm. mentally ill. Uh, and the uh, it was the scariest thing I had done. But then the wave that comes back of people saying like, oh my God, me too, right. is astonishing. But then you can't heal the world and then you feel guilty that you're right. not doing enough. Everyone and- wants advice then. So it's very tricky yeah. because like you can't really control what that reaction is going to be. And it's like, well, I gave you this and it already took so like I, you want people to understand I'm, I'm speaking for us, but I'm speaking for me, mm-hmm. but it's like, I, yeah. I, I want to share this part of me because I want you to know that like other people are going through this, but like, I can't give you everything. You have to let me have a little bit of it for myself. Yeah. And that's hard. And does that make meeting new people difficult too? If you it, like at this phase, when, when you meet somebody new and they think they know you, does that, does that happen? Oh Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, people respond in all kinds of different ways. I have a lot of friends of mine who are like very successful, famous actors mm-hmm. and the interaction with them, I feel like I'm very sensitive to this and I notice it and people always have some kind of, there is a little bit of a barrier because they're mm-hmm. like, oh, that character that you played. Right. They don't know about their personal lives. When they meet me, a lot of times they think like, oh no, I know you, Anthony, <laughs> like for who you are. Right. Because you play yourself. (laughs) They immediately get a a more caffeinated version of myself, but yes, myself. (laughs) And people immediately get sort of like touchy. And I'm like a very affectionate person, but at the same time when a perfect stranger comes and puts their hand on your waist or on your Mm -hmm. shoulder, and it's sort of like, and they don't mean anything negative Mm -hmm. by it. There's nothing like aggressive in their intention, Mm -hmm. but the way that it comes across to me sometimes is just kind of like, I need a moment to sort of like calibrate and tell myself like, oh, they've... They've seen me share some shit on the show. This is like they, they're seeing me IRL right now. This mm-hmm. is kind of like a unicorn moment for them. And mm-hmm. I have to like address that. And even if I look terrified, just smile, ask them a question and just like have a human interaction and be a normal human being. Because there's days where I'm super anxious and oh, I yeah. feel very shy. And, I, and, and it's harder for me to engage where I struggle with that. But at the same time, you have to remember like this is important to them. 
That's a really generous way to do I'm that. not saying I do it perfectly. Kat. Oh, it's it's <laughs> but 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 that's the that's what I'm trying to tell myself as, every day. As a person who has a hard time leaving the house on occasion mm. and stuff like that, there's that moment where is usually when I'm putting on my eyeliner. Somebody else did my eyeliner today, by the way. Great job. <laughs> Thing is she's Natalie, she's fantastic. But I I have this moment where I have to sort of get I have to marshal everything and I have to maybe listen to some music. I have mm-hmm. to do something before I like go out into the world. And 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 that's just like interesting interacting with regular society and, and, you know, and because I, I put a fair amount of myself out into the world, mm-hmm. people assume that they know like various sure. things. And, and, those and things you have are a very real. signature look. Yeah. And it's a funny, and the thing is like, I'm like a thousandth, like a hundred thousandth as well known as you are. And I get this and I can't even imagine. But anxiety is like. still anxiety. Yeah, it really is. And the thing I've learned, and I, maybe you've learned this too, is to forgive myself for it and mm. be gentle with myself about it. And this last year has been about that. And just be like, okay, you had a bad day. You maybe didn't react how you wanted to or talk to that person how you wanted to. And it's okay. You were just being human. Isn't it so easy to be hard on ourselves? It's so easy. <laughs> it's, yeah. Like, yeah. God forbid, I just be like, you know what? <laughs> You could have done that a little better. <laughs> like, instead of like, why did you suck so much today? Right. <laughs> like, that's, right. it's really hard, but like, we have to do it if we're going to keep on uh, doing the, the thing. And Absolutely. You know, and you are probably going to go, you're, I imagine you have a book tour planned for. Full country, U.S., Canada, U.K. The Anthony Prosky Petting Zoo. on. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Do you have, what's your plan for taking care of yourself while you do that? My plan for taking care of myself. Um, I have some like good superficial things that actually yeah, really help. What are those um, I love my candles. Oh, do you have like the little fly, travel? So I don't travel with the large ones because those always get weirdly checked as like bombs. So I do the <laughs> little ones. Yeah. And Byredo and Diptyque does little babies. I love. Oh god. Because yes. they have such clean scents. And I, whenever I'm in a hotel, if I light one of those, it makes me feel like I'm at home, and that helps me calm down. I just started wearing some Byredo on occasion. Which and, one? Oh my god, it was smoke. Wait, smoke? Oh God, yeah, they have a new scent. A new scent, uh, smoke. It's beautiful. Stop! I thought Sundays was their more recent one. I have an offensively shocking amount of Byredo products, and oh I know everything. Gosh. And I did not know that they created something called smoke. And now I'm going to have to go immediately to the Wooster store after this and really, find it. Really, I hope I didn't just make that up in my head. I was in New Orleans recently and went to the Sundays shop there. Oh, yeah, Byredo is so great. It's so but great. I love I love scents. I love music is really important. And oh I have my yeah, little... well as we all know from your shirts. Yes, I love a good band, um, and so I love having my music with me. It's sort of like it does set me up, like you were mentioning before you leave the house, and it's like kind of like that ritual. Yeah, um, I have that, a little travel speaker that I, I same, same. I have a tiny baby one that's good mm-hmm. for like outdoors, and then I have one that is like a little larger that I just play in a room. I have to have music. Yeah, I can't do silence. Okay, I I have a, like a noise machine kind of thing too. Oh no, I can't. I need music <laughs> yeah. all the time when I'm outside with my headphones and yeah. yeah. But um, what else do I do for self-care? An important one that I often forget to do is, especially during like long press days, I forget to eat. Mm. Yet I think about food all the time. Right. <laughs> this is this is the life of people who work in food mm. media. Like you'll be sitting at your desk thinking like, why do I feel really woozy? I'm like, oh, because I just ate something weird off the free table. When is the last time <laughs> you put something solid in your mouth? It's right. like a constant right. thing that I'm asking myself. Yeah. You need to have like a handler or something like that. <laughs> no, or I'm like, trying to be independent. Uh, Gina! No, kidding. We're not going to make you do that. Carry oh, jerky with yourself. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, I, I do love a good turkey jerky. But um, I think, yeah, a constant reminder that like I have to eat a proper meal. Proper. Drink. <laughs> it's my word. 
Um, water is very important as well yeah. because I drink oh. shocking amounts of coffee. Yeah. I'm almost done with mine. I noticed that you didn't take What's a shocking? single sip. What, how much coffee is shocking? I've calmed it down. Okay. But now, <laughs> typically, so in the morning, I have um, an iced oat latte. Mm-hmm. I'm that guy. Uh, with four shots. And then before I leave the house, I'll have another one with a double. So we're at six shots. And then in the afternoon, I have two more. That's eight. And then if I'm working, I'm going to have four more shots. So that's about 12 in a day. And if I'm not, I'll have like a single espresso with dinner. How do you sleep? (laughs) Do you? Melatonin, a bath, and like a good Valerian goop bath like soak situation. Uh, Melatonin, Valerian. There is a sleep mixture by Jero. Um, I, what is the other one? There's another part of this. There's like one other part of that. Like there's, did I say melatonin? Oh, it's L-gaba-gaba-theanine. L-theanine. Yes. Oh, I love that. I'm all about that shit. And then actually I just got a prescription for medical marijuana. Oh, good for you. From the state, yeah. And like one, it's a CBD THC ratio because my sleep was so bad. Wow. Yeah. Eight hours is very important. I never get that. (laughs) Ever? No, I, I did this weekend. I stayed up till six in the morning watching Marvel movies. <laughs> and so I slept all day Saturday. That's a good reason to stay up till yeah, six in the morning. Really I can't go after who you is, for that. Uh, do you watch Marvel movies? I mean, like Marvel movies in general. I had yeah. all the comics growing okay. up, and so, so I love the films, but I haven't who's seen... Who's your character? <gasps> mm. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. Look, I love Iron Man. I've just... Because he, he's got panic attacks. He has p- full panic attacks. Yes. Unapologetically. I love Silver Surfer. I have a very large collection. Spider-Man, more comic. Oh. Venom, I was always a huge fan. Okay. I went through a phase when I was growing up where I always wanted to be the villain. Oh. I always wanted to be the bad guy. So season four, can you be? <laughs> yes. I'll start dressing up like Marvel villains in the new season of Queer Eye. That Would should be my please? new aesthetic. Like, yes. I think you need to. If you to- see me wearing one, know that I'll be thinking of you. <laughs> I'll be dressed as Venom making yes, like please. cookies with a little child. It'll be, it'll go very I well with Netflix. I think this is going to yeah. work really well. Oh my God. Well, if it's Netflix, I mean, there's no reason you yeah, can't do a cameo exactly. on like one of these. Goodbye band t-shirts. You'll be on the, the new Loki show. It's going to be great. Yes. <laughs> I love Loki. I love Loki too. Oh my gosh. So we are, I like the, she's giving me the, the signs of how long. So I do have uh, several questions that oh, I ask everybody. Okay. Um, but what didn't I ask you that you wish that people would ask you? What didn't you ask me? Um, we talked about my existential angst. Oh, yeah. How <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm doing every day, but I'm doing my best. Yeah. Um, our mutual anxiety, how we met, which was kind of like the, the only thing that I wanted to talk about There are going to be links um, in the description of this to these videos. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I will put those uh, um, in there. Wow. If anyone watches that original video. And you need to see those those videos of uh, Andy, Andy Bergani also. Because yes. he was there that day. Right. As well. And now he's Mr. Superstar on Bon App. Yes. His videos are so beautiful. Yeah. But we also, like, he uh, also, he, the first food did, videos he did were uh, there as well at wow. Tasting Table. Yeah. That was like a it's nice... A breeding ground for stars. A nice breeding ground. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there was anything else. I don't know. I just, I love chatting with you. And I, I, really, I hope I answered the questions. Oh, I tend to go off on tangents no. a lot. I mean, this is, we are two ADHD, ADHD Yeah, we're just doing the best we can. We are, you know what, Anthony? We're doing the best we can. Yeah. So I have a question. Okay. Okay. So you, you take care of a lot of people and like emotionally and, you know, on the, on the show in your life and stuff. What is the selfish thing that you want for you? selfish thing that I want for me 
like my dream. Yeah, what's the thing you want? Is to be able to sit. I don't know why it's making me so emotional. The coffee's definitely worn out. Is to be able to sit in a restaurant by myself, not with my phone, and just be perfectly content enjoying a meal with myself. Can you do that this week? I double dog. I'll do it if you do it. I literally have goosebumps <laughs> thinking about it. Okay, we're gonna pinky swear on this. Yeah, that means I have to do it. It means we both. I'm going to New Orleans tomorrow. I'm gonna sit in a New Orleans restaurant. Oh, and we have phone. each other's cell, so that means we're gonna be held accountable. Oh, I don't have your cell. <laughs> yeah, you do. Do I? We've texted. Okay. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Um, so Wait, you're going to New Orleans tomorrow. Are you going to go to Café du Monde and just have beignets? Are you? Uh, it's too much of a crowd thing. There. I go to uh, oh. Café Beignet. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah. I will sit by myself at French 75 bar. Nice. Oh, you love a French I 75. I love a French 75. She loves. <laughs> it is a thing I adore. But you uh-huh. and I are going to, you and I are both going to, I'm going to hold you to it. We're going to do that this week. I just got sweaty. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to make you. No, anxious. it's fine. Oh my gosh. And I, I keep, like fear. Fear's I'm good. a scared person, but I really get off on like leaning into fear. It's like it's really good because right? you can learn so much about yourself through the, fear. The gift of fear. Mm-hmm. It's really it's a beautiful thing, and it's a feeling. When my therapist asks me how oh. I'm feeling, I always know happy, sad, and I'm trying to explore anger because I have a yeah. lot of like hidden anger that I don't deal with. I really like the Hulk and and afraid. Yes, I never say fear, and I realize that I'm scared a lot. Oh God, yes! It's like a, it's it's a, it's an emotion. It is a constant state mm-hmm. for me, and I just realize I have to sort of ride side like uh, side by side with it. Sometimes it has the wheel, and mm-hmm. sometimes I do. Yeah, and it's just trying to change that ratio. But just addressing it helps too. It's just that awareness of like, oh, this is this is how I'm feeling. I'm yeah. scared. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, honestly, like you saying that is a gift because if somebody sees you who they have this avatar of you in their head and if they hear that you are going through that, too, that makes mm-hmm. it easier for them. Right. That'll be something to discuss on a new season. I'll talk about being scared all the time. Do it. Oh, my yeah. God. I think it's a beautiful thing. We won't push it. But the right, if the right opportunity if arises, they, why not? Dear Netflix producer. Yes. <laughs> so I have to I keep getting this sign of how many minutes we have left. So I'm going to rip through these questions. I could talk to you for like 15 hours Same. and do this. Um, what's your comfort food? A vat of mac and cheese when it's hot, when it cools down the next morning, <laughs> straight from the fridge, remove the aluminum foil, dip a fork into it. Vat of mac and cheese. Okay, and there are recipes that people can have in Antony in the Kitchen. Yes, there's one wet and then there's one baked. I love that. Um, what is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? The last meal that I had that made me emotional. Um, it's actually in the cookbook. And it was my roasted carrots with a carrot top pesto. And yeah. I got I got a little teary-eyed because I remember the last time I had it. And you you can share or not share context. Um, it was at a different time in my life when I was with someone and his family, and we were all having it together. And I really, really missed those days. Oh, yeah. I hope you can cook that for yourself and feel the joy from it. Yeah. I'll throw on a crispy egg and make it a whole meal. Is it in the book? The carrots are, yeah. Can imagine that people across the country are going to be making that dish. That's beautiful. It is beautiful, but like even more importantly, I want people to understand that 
like we all have those dishes, right? And mm. these are very important and sacred to me. And I want everyone to make them and buy the book. That's all great. But I really want people to be inspired to kind of like look at their own lives and try to think about like their own food memories. Yeah. Because we all have those. I don't give a shit if it's a peanut fucking butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> on an untoasted toast. That's how much, I, that's how little I care because I hate untoasted toast. But like know what that is for you and just yeah. think about why it's important and teach other people how to make it, whether it's your kids or your friends or loved ones. And because we all have that, like we all have our yeah. own cookbook in the, our, in our hearts and Madeline in our minds. Moment. Right. I just love the thought that somebody's going to take one of your recipes and it's going to become the thing that they make for their loved one. I think that's such a lovely Stop. thing. It's true though. I didn't think about that. That's too big. Sorry. That, that's like the one time that I did shrooms and then I looked at my laptop with my buddy, Tommy, and then we were like, should we open the laptop? And we were like, no, that's too much to take on. We can't do that. I just opened up like the Bugs Bunny. It's too like, big a world. <laughs> ah, shoot. Too much to handle. Okay, I'm going to make you cry again. Uh, last meal that somebody cooked for you in their home. Mm. We just go for the jugular in all these. <laughs> the last meal that somebody cooked for me in their home. It was a couple of weeks ago and I was visiting my dad in Vermont. I helped it with, with like a light rub, but um, he grilled a rack of lamb mm. and it was the perfect medium rare. Oh. And he put the fat cap side down on the grill first to mm. get it really nice and crispy and when we were cutting through it after I taught, I taught him to season a little more aggressively because you have to when there's that much fat mm -hmm. and also to let the meat rest before cooking, before cutting it. And when he cut through it and it was just like the perfect medium rare and I just saw how excited he was. And before we got to the table, he's like, eat one. And then I just ate one and he was just like <laughs> watching me eat it. And he was just so filled with joy. Oh God, that's lovely. Like that's my dad. Yeah. He must be so proud of you. Yes. That's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> so this question, okay, this is going to be a, <laughs> because you're a music person, mm -hmm. um, this is saying this out to the universe. Mm. What musician who you haven't cooked for before would you want to cook for and what would you cook for them? <laughs> that is a good one. Dead or alive? Oh, sorry. Living. Living. It has to be living. Has to be living. That makes more sense. <laughs> No, no, because people ask, and I, I forgot it's li right. living musician. Living musician that I would want to. Um, it's so I um hmm um um, is it is it okay if I've met the person already? Yeah. Oh, but you okay. Haven't cooked for them. I haven't cooked for them. Um, so I I recently met um almost all the members of uh, The Strokes. I saw that on Instagram. After their, after their show, which was like last minute canceled <laughs> and I had a high school reunion with my buddies and we were a uh, college reunion with my buddies because we were in a band together called The Silver Spoons, but we were horrible and it was a very pretentious name. But anyway, <laughs> um, a few months prior, I befriended um, Albert Hammond Jr., who's maybe just one of the sweetest people ever. And he has a, a, a lovely Polish wife and, and they're both big foodies and they just got a place in LA and they love to cook. And so we've been like texting a little bit. They were in Italy recently and we were talking about um, how much we'd love to cook together. And you know, it's, it's one of those things like when you meet somebody who you've looked up to for such a long time, sometimes you get disappointed. And then other times it's like, <laughs> You're somehow better than I even imagined. <laughs> oh, we're going to actually met a, a mutual 
person we love, Samin Nosrat, was one of those people. I thought she couldn't be more amazing, and then no, she, she was. She, yep. And she, I, I think we had invoked you on the podcast, or something happened. She is but then a I heart. Saw, yes, but then I saw you met up with her, and she I was like, she is a heart. So she is the person who I thought like she can't be that like mm. as amazing as she seems, and she was. Oh, she is. Yeah. There's like this innocent childlike curiosity, but also just she, such a pro. Oh, and she I just love got her. a puppy. Uh, oh, yes, I saw this. I saw this. I saw this. <laughs> and this is just a love fest, just to mean. Yeah. Okay, final question. Okay. Um, you have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. What do you do? Five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. Um, I will play Maggie Rogers, Light On, Very Low, and I will sit on the edge of my bed with my feet down so that my back is nice and straight in my room with a candle lit and all I will say my it's my little meditative like mantra and it's I am enough I have enough I am enough I have enough and I'll just do that for five minutes I love that the track is like a little shy of four minutes I think so for the last minute it'll just be silence and me saying it to myself I love that so you and I are both gonna this week <laughs> we have a mission yeah and I'm gonna do it I am going to do it too. I'm going to do it. And okay. I, there will, I will not have my phone. I'm not going to Instagram story that shit. Nope. I'm going to sit and enjoy a meal by myself. <laughs> I will do the same. Maybe really sad. It may be really great. Maybe <laughs> somewhere in between. We're going to find out. But we're going to do it. Okay. I'm going to do it. It's going to happen pink- in Philly, but it'll happen. We pinky swore. We did. <laughs> so we did that. So thank you so much to our guest today thank Angie you Brosky. and i people are going to be able to get anthony in the kitchen on september 9th yes oh my and i'll be touring the country so i would like love to meet everybody and we're going to be making recipes from the book and speaking to really interesting people and doing all kinds of questions and fun cute little things show up so. with silver surfer stuff for, yes for anthony silver surfer comics get you vvvip that is not an official quote <laughs> but it is. But it is. <laughs> and people can find you on social at Anthony on just about everything. On yeah, on Twitter and on Instagram, and I don't go on Facebook, but it does exist. Um, and, and, and sitting in a restaurant near you at some point soon. Alone. <laughs> <laughs> Leave him be. Yes. Oh, thank or not. You. Or come say hi. Do whatever. Do do what you want. Do free you. free people. <laughs> Thank you to our producer, Jennifer Martnick. Thanks to Douglas Wagner for our delightful theme song. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, write a review, or rate us. Oh my gosh, those reviews have stars. They let us keep doing this. They let people find us on all of the platforms. And if there is something you would like for us to talk about or a guest you would like to hear from, please let us know. You can find me on Twitter at Kitten with a Whip. Find out more about the show and catch up on all the episodes at foodandwine.com and Food and Wine's YouTube page. Thank you for listening and take great care of yourself till the next time and go buy the book.